My name's Adrian, and I'm the lead pastor here at Carney E. Free. If we haven't yet met, I'd love to meet you after service or on a future Sunday. We're so grateful that you've chosen to join us for worship tonight. I know there's many places, though, that you can be, but what a joy it is to be together tonight and to celebrate the birth of Christ the Savior, our Lord. Well, are you all ready for the big day tomorrow? All the women are looking at me like, well, of course, what kind of ridiculous question is that? The men are kind of looking at their watches. I still got seven, eight hours. Don't worry about that. I got it taken care of. I'm good. Well, we uh, here at Carnegie Free have been spending a little bit of time over the past couple Sundays, and then tonight and tomorrow and then the following week, looking at a mini-series that we've titled Not Impossible. And that title for the series is found in the birth story of Jesus when the angel appears to Mary, and uh, Mary says, how could this be, what you're telling me? And the angel says, with God, all things are possible. It's not impossible that God could do beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. We're going to talk about the reality tonight that it's not impossible for us to have real abiding joy. Now, I know as I say some things are, are not impossible, there are certain impossibilities of Christmas, aren't there? Like, uh, for example, having family gatherings in which nobody is stressed out, wouldn't that be an impossibility of Christmas? Or uh, to have uh, Christmas gatherings in which you don't overindulge in sweets, that's another impossibility. In fact, uh, desserts, or stress spelled backwards is desserts, did you know that? So the more stressed you are with family, the more desserts you get to eat. Uh, buying that special gift for that special you-know-who who is so difficult to please every year, that is an impossibility of Christmas. If you're like me and for some reason God gave you two left thumbs, as he seemed to give me, it's impossible to put up all the Christmas lights and make them work the first time. I know that's not true for many of you Nebraska men, but that's true for me. Uh, an impossibility of this season that I don't care for. It strikes me that the center of the Christmas story that we just heard read so beautifully is the angels saying to the shepherds, shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. And I think some people, if we're honest, we would have to say that might be a possibility for someone else, but that's a worn out cliche that I really don't believe is possible for me. Have you known someone like that? Maybe you are that right now, that you would say, that's fine that God gave that gift to other people, but apparently he bypassed me when it came to good news of great joy. You know, gifts tell us a lot about the giver. Uh, we think they tell us a lot about the recipient, and sometimes they do, but they tell us especially about the giver. For example, a number of years ago, my older son Elijah gave me a gift for my birthday that he had been working on for several weeks, and he kept on telling me leading up to my birthday, Dad, I got the greatest birthday gift for you. You'll never guess what I'm going to give you. And he said, Dad, I've worked really, really hard on it. It's a surprise. You can't guess what it is. It'll be a surprise, but I'm telling you, yeah, you're going to love it, Dad. And so I opened it up on my birthday, and, and sure enough, it was a great birthday gift. It was a homemade book of all the different activities that he loves to do with me. Dad's dream, right? And inside that were pictures of stick men of Elijah and stick men of Daddy playing football. 
and stick men of us wrestling and, and him running. And, and you might surmise something about me from that book, but much more you learn about him from that book. You, you learn that he loves physical activity and he's a pretty creative guy and uh, he likes to surprise his dad. You, you learn something about the giver from the gifts that they give. And the Christmas message, the gift of Christmas, teaches us some beautiful things about the giver of Christmas. Some beautiful things about God himself. Yet you think about the Christmas story, it, it teaches us that he is utterly generous. It teaches us that he has a sense of humor, doesn't it? I mean, that God would send his son to be born into an unwed teenage girl who was a peasant and he would be born into a roadside stable because there was no room in the inn. He's got a sense of humor. It teaches us that he loves us deeply. And it teaches us, I think more than anything, that God is the giver of joy and he can deliver it to you too. Wherever you are tonight, I want you to hear that. God is the giver of joy and he can deliver joy to you as well. Again, this is the center of the narrative that we just heard. The angel said to these shepherds out in the field nearby, the shepherds were the ancient farmers and ranchers. They were tending to the sheep, and the angels come to these shepherds, and they say, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Unto you this day is born a Savior, and I'm bringing you good news of great joy. You, you see, the Christmas story teaches us of a God who is able to deliver the most surprising joys in the most unexpected ways, in the most unpredictable places, to the most unusual cast of characters. The whole story shouts of a God who is able to do the impossible. Now, I know you've heard this story perhaps dozens of times, but don't allow yourself to become dull to the beauty of the story, the miraculous nature of the gift of what God has given, and the impossibility of any man coming up with the story. First, God decided to become one of us, and he didn't commute between heaven and earth on a gold-plated holy escalator, did he? He commuted between heaven and earth through, again, a teenage unwed girl. And for 33 years during his life on earth, that great gap between God and humanity became almost indistinguishable. As you looked at this man who took on flesh and blood, whose name was Jesus, though this young family would, family would seemingly be in pieces from the get-go because of rumors of an affair during the engagement, and they're dealing with poverty in this time. An angel of God comes to Joseph and convinces Joseph to take Mary to be his wife in spite of all that everyone is saying and in spite of what he is feeling and thinking in this moment. And courageously, he says yes. Likewise, the angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, do not fear. The Holy Spirit has conceived in you a child and that child will be the Son of God. And she says, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you kidding? No, this isn't going to happen. This is not my plan for my life. But then as she interacts well with the angel, she says, may it be to me 
according to your will, O God. I am the Lord's servant. And that in spite of a harried labor and delivery in a barn surrounded by cows and chickens and sheep and all the smells and sounds therein, she birthed joy to the world, and lowly shepherds were the first to witness it all. What an amazing story. I have this image in my mind of Mary handing over her newborn baby to Joseph for the first time, this new Christmas family, and she hands baby Jesus over to Joseph, and she says to him, Honey, this is Jesus Christ. He is the creator and the sustainer. He is the redeemer and the savior. He is the lily of the field and the bright and morning star. He is the rock of ages, the alpha and the omega. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who was and is and is to come. He is a friend of sinners. He's our rock, our refuge, our peace, our provider. He is the light of the world. This is Emmanuel. Joseph, don't drop him. Right? I mean, can you see it? Don't do that, Joseph. I, I mean, if you just get this, you, I mean, he's a baby. And yet he's God. He's all of that. Who could ever come up with this? Get your head around that. But this is, frankly, the only explanation that makes sense. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. He fed 5,000 with a few fish and loaves. He healed the sick, the blind, and the paralyzed. He lived a totally spotless life and demonstrated compassion for all that he saw. He was the most brilliant teacher that our world has ever seen. His life marks the very axis on which history turns. Your birthday and mine continues to be marked by his birthday. How about that? He claimed to forgive sins for which he tangled with the authorities, was crucified, killed, and died, and yet the grave couldn't hold him because on the third day he rose again. None of these things are possible without God. But if there is a God, these miracles, this joyous Christmas mystery is indeed possible. It strikes me that the real story of Christmas is a divine act which could only be conceived in the mind of God and which God himself would be the only one who could carry it out. Christmas, again, demonstrates for us a God who delivers beautiful joy to those who will have him. You know, as I've counseled people and met with so many people across 14 years of pastoral ministry, I recognize that many people frequently have a very distorted portrait of God in their mind. And frequently people have this portrait of God in their mind that he's like this great tyrant in the sky with his finger outstretched, looking down at people with a frown, checking to see if anyone is having any fun. Or other people have this portrait of God that he's like this preoccupied, distant king. He, he's got two big problems to deal with our little lives. He couldn't be concerned with your life or mine because he's got really big, important things to, to deal with. And, and maybe somehow we could come to please this portrait of God that we have in our mind. If we just do enough good things, then maybe he will begin to like us or even 
at the very least, begin to tolerate us. Have you known anyone that has that kind of portrait of God? And if you have that kind of portrait of God today, I can promise you that it will not inspire worship, and it certainly will not inspire joy. It might inspire fear, but not joy. Instead, the Christmas story reminds us that God gave the greatest gift on that first Christmas, not because you had somehow earned his approval, but because he already likes you. He gave that greatest gift on the first Christmas to initiate this divine story in which he came through a humble wooden stable to identify with us in our distress and all the way to a humble wooden cross in order to die for us in our sinfulness. I mean, the whole history, the great story of gift giving at Christmas time arises out of this that God so loved the world, that God so loved you, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would be given, would have eternal life in him. It all started there. God is a giver. He's the giver of joy, and he can deliver it to us as well. Again, I know some people say, how could that possibly happen? You don't know the kinds of things that I'm dealing with right now, and you're right, I don't. But I've been in some of the same places, though, that you would think of right now. You say to yourself, I I have longings to have health, and I'm never going to get healthy. Or I have longings for relationships to be healed, and and I know about that. Or you you say to yourself, I I disappoint people often. Or I, I failed my responsibilities over and over again, and I have plenty of that in my past as well. But God comes in and he identifies with us in our weaknesses and then he ultimately dies for us. And what he wants to do through it all is deliver joy to you and me. Joy comes from knowing who God is and who you are to him. Friends, when you know who you are to him, there is joy. When you know who God is in his greatness, in his glory, and you worship him as such, There is joy. Many of us don't experience that because we confuse happiness with joy. Happiness, listen now, happiness is all about circumstances. It's about me getting all of my Christmas lights up just right, which I couldn't do and therefore I didn't have happiness. It's about having all of the right people at the dinner table and being sure all the right people like me. That's happiness. It's about having the right Christmas meal that is cooked at just the right temperature. That's happiness, and it will be elusive. But joy comes from knowing that the right person already likes you. Do you know that? The right person already likes you, and he's come for you to give himself, to give his son, Jesus Christ, for you. It comes out of this reality that that, that Christ loves us, that he came for us, that he died for us, and as we get to know him as he is, and we realize that he didn't just come for other people, he didn't come for really good people, he didn't come for put-together people, he didn't come for wealthy people, he didn't come for all the pretty people, he came for your kind of people and my kind of people, he came for you and me. He came for ordinary folks like us. This is the great news of Christmas, that he chooses to come and deliver joy 
to us. I have a dear friend who I've known for uh, 10 or 11 years, and we used to spend a lot of time together, and I got to know him when he was homeless. And uh, he went through a long, long period of life where pretty much everyone let him down. His parents let him down, his sons let him down, and he let himself down. He uh, was looking for happiness in all the wrong places, looking for it in violence, looking for it in women, looking for it in drugs, and it would never satisfy. He was trying to fill that God-shaped void that we all have in our hearts that can never be satisfied by anyone but God himself. And it was useless, it was fruitless for him until one day in his mid-40s he met a man who changed everything. And that man's name was Jesus. And as he met Jesus, so he realized that he was actually loved by God and he began to understand that his life was in God and he began to get into a community of people that loved him as he was and his character began to change. But the interesting, interesting thing about his story is I continued to know him over the next five or six years after his, uh, his conversion to Christ. His circumstances of life really didn't change. He continued to have difficulty holding down a job. His sons continued to forsake him. And he went in and out of homelessness again and again. Until at one point, during the snowy months of winter in Colorado, he even lived out of an old beat-up SUV. And my wife and I would go to him and offer to help him at times and sought to do that on a number of occasions. But, but there was one time, Paul, particularly, that I said to this dear friend, I said, I'm so concerned about you, I'm worried about you, my friend. And he looked me in the eyes and he just rebuked me and said, don't you worry about me. Don't you have any pity on me, for I am never too far from the long arm of the Lord. Even here. In this beat-up SUV in the middle of snowy Colorado, I am loved by God. I know that I am His. I know I belong to Him, and I find my hope in Him. Friends, when you get this in your belly, that joy comes from knowing God as He is, and knowing that your life is hidden in him, that you belong to him and he'll never let you go. When you realize that truth, joy will be ours no matter the circumstances. Circumstances will come and go as they will for all of us. But as we get to know the God, and this is my prayer for each of you, this is my prayer for your family, that, that in this year to come, we would all get to know the God who gave himself in the manger and gave himself on the cross and as we get to know him better and find ourselves hidden in his life, then joy can be ours. Then joy can be yours, whatever circumstance life might bring to you. Would you allow me to pray that for you and your family tonight? And then we'll engage in lighting up this place as we remember the light of the world. Gracious God and Father, thank you that you chose to give your one and only Son to identify with us on that very first Christmas. We thank you, Lord, that he came in all humility and that he entered flesh and blood such that he could empathize with us in the midst of our weaknesses or difficult circumstances even today. 
And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you had the courage to go all the way to that old rugged cross where you would die for us to bring us real life indeed. We thank you, Father, that our joy tonight, our joy in the year come, need not be founded on circumstances, on things going right for us. But as we get to know you a bit more, you will bring joy into our homes. I pray that for every person here. I ask for every family here. Christmas is a time of grief for many. And so I pray that you will bring good news of great joy to those who are hurting even tonight. That you would whisper to them this evening, Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is very near. And it's through him that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but my, uh, my favorite time in the Christmas Eve service each year is the candle lighting. And uh, the candle lighting is a, a profound time where we pass the candles one from another to light each other's candle. And it's a beautiful portrait of just what Christ desires to do in our lives and in our families, in our neighborhoods. He comes to us in the midst of darkness and then light passes throughout the room. And so what I'd like to do right now is ask that perhaps we would turn the lights down in this room to make it as dark as we possibly can. And as the lights come down, I'll ask a number of volunteers to come forward with me. And these volunteers who are coming forward will have their candles lit. And what they're going to do is come across the rows and they will light every third or fourth row. And what you want to do at that moment after your candle is lit is go over to the neighbor next to you and light their candle. And then when you come to the end of the row, light the person's candle behind you. And then one person by one person, this entire dark room will be lit up and we'll stand together and we'll close out this service with that beautiful hymn, Silent Night. Scriptures say this. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a great light has dawned. Right as Jesus was beginning his ministry, this was the word of God to the people there in Israel. The light of the world has come.